the fulfilled. Have you enjoyed this series? I hope you have. I mean, this has been really fun, going through and looking at the, uh, the prophecies of Jesus uh, from the Old Covenant, how he fulfilled them. Hasn't it been amazing how specific some of these prophecies have been? I mean, we talked about how you know, it was prophesied that he would be the Savior, and, and not just that, oh, he's going to save the world, but how he would save the world with such a unique way and how he fulfilled that. Or that he was going to be the sacrifice and the details of the sacrifice as recorded in that uh, 22nd Psalm. Uh, the crucifixion, before crucifixion even existed, what the people would yell to him and, and taunt him with while he was hanging out. I mean, amazing, the detail. Or, or that we talked about how he was going to be uh, this, this son of man, how, he's, how it was so important that Jesus be, was human. And how God becoming a human was such a necessary thing and why and, 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 and how that would happen. And the prophecies predicted the impossible and yet we saw in Jesus how that came to be. Or then we talked about how it was so important that he was the son of David. Right? Not just any man, but from a particular family. Not just from a particular family, from a particular royal lineage in that family. And then how it was impossible for him to fulfill that prophecy if he was not also uh, incarnated. God incarnate, how God did the impossible, but also identified Jesus as the only one to fulfill, to become the Messiah. Isn't it amazing when you go through the prophecies? Today we're going to talk about this last one, which I think is really, really fun, and that is this, that uh, Jesus is God the Son. And it's, it's not just that he was a man. It's not just that he was a Savior. He's not just a Messiah. He's not just a Christ. But how the Scriptures prophesied all from the way old that he would also be God himself. Come to us. Amazing things. Now, to fully, I think, appreciate what this Messiah has done, what Jesus has done, of course, there is that memory verse that we, we've been going through that is so important for us. And that's Ephesians 2.8. And I hope that by this time, you've had an opportunity to memorize that. If not, it's okay. There's still time. Um, but this is what it says. For as by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. What an amazing truth uh, that this God has come for us, and it's by grace that we have been saved. And so, here we go, Jesus is that prophesied Son of God. Now, Son of God is arguably the most significant Christological title in the entire New Testament. It is uh, used more than 124 times there, and may be uh, seen as just, uh, uh, it's what sets Jesus apart from everybody else. Uh, He's not just a prophet, he's not just a good teacher, he's not just a savior, right? He's not just a Davidic king. He is God. And he's the only one that can really hold that title. If anybody else says, hey, I'm God, we say, you're crazy. Right? If, uh, in fact, even when Jesus was being tempted, right, and he, the, the, he, uh, he, he was baptized, and he goes into the wilderness, and he hasn't eaten in 40 days, and, and he's there, and he knows that it's going to be difficult to claim his, his kingship, right? He knows the scriptures, all the things he's going to have to do and suffer and sacrifice in order to become, uh, to be recognized as king of kings. He knows that, and the devil offers him a, a, a nifty proposition. He says, if you just bow a knee to me and worship me, then you can just skip all of that, and I'll give you all the nations and the kingdoms and all that kind of stuff. And, and Jesus says, oh, it is written, <laughs> Right? You're not to worship anybody but God. And yet Jesus receives worship. It's a unique thing. He is not just another guy. And I think when we look at the New Testament over and over again, it's 124 times. That's, that's telling you something. 
how important it is that we understand that Jesus is not just another man. Because we live in a culture and a time in history in which we are taught it's okay to, to believe in Jesus. But none of this nonsense that he's the only way, that he's actually God. And yet, the scripture doesn't give us that, that option. Gratefully, it doesn't give us that option. And we're going to talk about that today, how important it is that, that this was not a new thing. Jesus didn't just come out and say, hey, I'm God. No, there were prophecies before that said this is exactly what this Messiah, this Davidic king, would be. And so if you have your Bible, uh, please turn it to Psalm 2. If you don't have a Bible, you can use one of ours. In fact, you can take one of ours, which would be great. And if you have one of ours, you want to turn it to page 374, and uh, that's, uh, that's where Psalm 2 is. Now, while you're turning to Psalm 2, best way to turn to Psalms is just take your Bible, split it in half, and that's where your Psalms are. Um, you have uh, Psalm 2 was written by King David about 1,000 years before Jesus came. It was written while King David was on the run because his son, Absalom, uh, had, had done a, a, a coup, a military coup, and had taken over the kingdom. And David had escaped and had fled Jerusalem. And his nation was being split in two, and his own son had betrayed him. And there were wars and all these kinds of things that were happening. And there he was, uh, supposed to be God's king. He had the prophet uh, put his hand on and said, you're, you're God's king, right? This is, the, this is God's the one chosen for Israel. You're the guy. Uh, he had received the promises, all these types of things. And there he was on the run. And of course, the ridicule comes uh, when things don't particularly go your way. And there's, it, when, when life's going good, you know, and like at work, things are going well, you know, your boss probably gives you some leeway and, and they say, hey, things are great, right? Or at home when things are going well, everybody kind of gets it. But as soon as there's some difficulty, and every, there's a lot of scrutiny and there's a lot of criticism. I guarantee David has facing some criticism. How do you know you're God's person? What is his faith that you put in this, this man? Your own kids are, are betraying you, all this kind of stuff. He is on the run. And so as you read Psalm 2, there is this, uh, it's a song that was written by David through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And you're in, as you read it, you hear just the pain, the tears of, of one, the anger of having his people betray him, but then the other part is, uh, is, that, is that pain of having his own son turn. Uh, and not only that, but then also that great faith, the trusting God despite of what he sees. It's just an amazing thing. Well, in the midst of that dark time, of when he was on the run and, and hiding and, and not even really wanting to fight against those that he needed, I mean, how, how turmoil do you have to be when, you're, when you fight, you have to fight against your own son? In the midst of all of that, when it seemed like God was far away, God, the Holy Spirit, speaks through David in this, this second psalm and predicts not just the return of a kingdom, but the come of the God King, which is an amazing thing, a prophecy which, which was amazing. And so um, as, we, as you get into there, let's, uh, let's uh, start, uh, let's read some of it. Actually, it's a very short psalm. It says, Why do the nations conspire? <laughs> And the people's plot in vain. The kings of the earth rise up. The rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger. He terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain, and I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with the rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, 
You kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son, or he will be angry, and your way will lead to your own destruction. For, this, for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. And so when we look at that particular psalm, we see there's a couple things that, uh, that we're supposed to see in this, this prediction. The first is this, that God would install his king in Jerusalem. And we talked about that last week, that's the Messiah. And, and it was very important that it would be in Jerusalem. And where was Jesus, uh, where, where was the, the triumphal entry? Jerusalem. Where was he crucified? Jerusalem. Where was he resurrected? Jerusalem. Yeah, it's very important, isn't it? And if all the cities, not only did he have to be the right person, but it had to be in the right city. <laughs> Out of all the cities on the earth, it was in Jerusalem. Now it said, God would tell the Messiah, you are my son. That's the next thing that we, we see there. He says, uh, to, it says, you are my son, today I become your father. That God himself will call this person his son. And that God will give him his son as an, an international inheritance. He says, ask me, right, in that verse 8, and I will make the ends of the earth your possession. And also, uh, again, verse 8, that he would give his son global authority. Um, and so uh, we see that these are going to be the terms. This is how we're going to identify this son of God, this Messiah, when he came. And so let's look at uh, the history. How, does, how did uh, God do on this? How does Jesus stack up? Well, the very first thing is we see that Jesus is the Messianic king. If you, uh, we, we talked about that a lot last week, didn't we? So if you missed that, go on to funchurch.com, go to sermons, and listen to that, because um, I'd hate to preach two sermons today. But, uh, but uh, here you have, um, just briefly, in case you missed some of it, Second uh, Samuel, uh, where we have seven, where it was last week we were at, it says, he is the one who will build a house for my name, right? That's, we talked about Messiah, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever, and I will be his father and he will be my son. Now, we'll see that Jesus actually fulfilled that prophecy very specifically last week, but it's interesting to see here, right below that, he says that, that God is going to establish his throne. This was God, the one who, who's lifting him. We see right below it, it says, and I will be his father, he will be my son. You see, the psalm wasn't the only one that pointed to the fact that God himself was going to send God the son to earth, and that God the son was going to be Messiah. In fact, we see that theme over and over again. In fact, I hope that you would maybe go back and listen to some of these messages, and you'll notice that all those prophecies that we went through Everyone talks about, and it is God the Son doing those things. Whether it was a sacrifice, whether it was a Savior, right? The Son of Man, right? All of these, it was God the Son was predicted to be the one to do these things. But we saw from last week that Jesus actually is the Messiah. So we'll move to the second thing is that Jesus is promised as Son of God. Uh, he's proclaimed as Son of God. And there's a big thing. We're going to camp out on this because it's kind of the meat of, of this particular prophecy, right? I will call him my son and, and, uh, and you'll call me your father. And so it's very important that Jesus is proclaimed as God the Son. And so um, we, have, uh, we have a lot of this. Uh, first thing, at Jesus' baptism, Jesus was proclaimed as God the Son. Do you remember when Jesus went into the water, right? And, and he was being baptized by John the Baptist. What happens? Right, it says that, that a dove, the Spirit of God, right, God the Holy Spirit, descends upon him like a dove, and the sky opens. And, and we read that something was very audible. And it says as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove 
and the alighting on him, and the voice of heaven said, um, this is my son, whom I love, and whom I'm well pleased. Now, who do you suppose that voice from heaven was? Right? I mean, that's a pretty big deal. And this was not a private thing. It's not as though Jesus went into a cave, and God met him in a cave in the darkness and the loneliness and there, and said, you're my son. This happened when there were lots, thousands of people. And it didn't just happen to like somebody that was, you know, uh, you know, like Crazy Joe the auto dealer, right? That we like, I don't know about his character, right? This happened with, with John the Baptist, where even the Pharisees at, at, and the Sadducees and the leaders of the people would go down because of this man's righteousness. This happened in the presence of a prophet. And God speaks to the people as Jesus comes out of the water, and he gives them a visual sign as well, just in case they miss the audio one. That God's spirit lands on him. And you say, well, you know, the Bible could have made that up. Oh, really? You know, this was Matthew, the tax collector, right, who was in Jerusalem. And do you know when this book was written? Oh, I don't know, maybe just about 20 years after Jesus raised from the dead. And where was it published? Where was it distributed? Where's the massive number of copies of Matthew? Where do we get the oldest copies and the most number? Jerusalem! You cannot tell me that the people who were there who saw Jesus be baptized and came up, if, if this wasn't true, the Gospel of Matthew would have been burned the moment that it, it was published. And people say, that never happened. I saw Jesus be baptized and it didn't happen. This was a very public event and God spoke from heaven doing something that none of us can do and he said very clearly, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. Now, Granted, maybe people heard it wrong. Right, you know, sometimes, you know, we hear something and there's in a crowd or whatever. Maybe, but, but that was the only time that God spoke. Maybe there would be opening for, for maybe we could say, mm, I don't know, can we doubt this, that God was talking about him? Maybe he's talking about John or something. Well, fortunately, that wasn't the only time that God called him his son. You get this again, Matthew 3, 16, 17. Jesus goes up to a mountain Climbs with some of his best apostles. Now, who are these people? Oh, I don't know. The people that helped set morality for the last 2,000 years, right? Like pretty important guys. You have John. You have Peter, right? You, if you have, these are guys that go up and they're, they've been well attested with their character. They died for this very testimony that they were about to give. They go up to a mountain and, and uh, Jesus is transformed, and they see him in his heavenly glory, which would be pretty awesome. And Peter says, I don't know what to do about this. Maybe we should build your house. And it wasn't just that Jesus transforms, but then he also has two prophets show up. And they're talking to him, worshiping him. And God says this while he was still speaking. A bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. <laughs> With him I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Let there be... No confusion on this matter. God has called Jesus his son. He did it publicly. He did it twice. He did it very specifically. He did it in such a way that there could be no confusion as to who God is pointing out. He even had a, the spirit of God land like a dove on a man. I mean, that, that pretty much identifies him. God did everything he could so we people would have the opportunity to know this is the one he's talking about. And he says, he is my son, not just a son, but my son. He sets him apart. He's different. He's not like you and me. 
And I think that is an enormous thing that he is, that God himself says, this guy has got, uh, he's got my seal of approval. But you know, if God's word isn't enough for you, let's, uh, let's go, let's see what the prophets had to say. Because they also spoke for God. Are these the only times that God spoke? No, God spoke through the prophets many times and in very, many ways is what the scriptures say so that we would know. And here we have in Isaiah 7, 14, and it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign, and the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. And you're like, well, that's a lovely name until you realize what it means. It says in Matthew 1, this is the New Testament, uh, after Jesus was born, it says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. What does that mean? God with us. You don't normally name your kid God. Right? That's kind of a unique thing to call your son. But Mary and Joseph and the wise men and the shepherds and the angels of heaven at his birth worshipped him. Right? And I know that the, the wise men came a little bit later. But here's a cool thing about that. They still worshipped him. See, ever since his birth, he was unique and set apart. He was different. And the prophets foretold this is what's going to happen. All the way from David a thousand years before he came or Isaiah 700 years before he came. Think about that. It's like our country's been around like 200. That's a long prophecy. And they waited and waited and waited and then he came. And Jesus was just a baby, right? Like babies don't do much. It's not as though Jesus had like, you know, delusions of grandeur whilst he was in, you know, the the crib and saying, you should worship me, right? There was something special he was testified to by the angels of heaven themselves, but also the prophecy. And they would go back and look at that prophecy and realize that God kept his word. God came, God with us. And I love that. God spoke through the prophets. That's just one of many. But he also spoke through the newer Testament prophets. We have the apostles. And this is what Simon Peter had to say. Jesus uh, took the apostles up to this place uh, where it was basically to where where they would have, there was a a literal cave there that they call the gates to hell. And there was a a big uh, temple in front of that to the, the Roman god Pan, who um, was supposed to go into the underworld. And there's a big, right there, there was a, um, there's a temple there to that, to that false god. And this big cave, which is huge, and they thought that that was the passageway, the very gates of hell <laughs> that would go down into. And carved in the rocks right by this cave, you can actually go visit it if you wanted to, uh, by that cave are all of these other uh, deities carved into the rocks. And the people would come from all over and would go to worship there and Jesus takes his disciples up to there at Caesarea Philippi and he says to his disciples who do you say, uh, who do people say I am and they said to him well people call you all kinds of things you know some you're a teacher some calls you a prophet and all these types of things and Jesus said huh it's interesting who do, who do you say I am and Simon Peter answered you are the Messiah and how does he understand what does Messiah mean the son of the living God unique I asked an important thing that even the, the apostles, they lived with him day and night for three years. They gave up a lot of things to follow him, businesses, family, all kinds of stuff. They, they follow him. Now, when you live with somebody for three years, you get to know them. Do you ever have like a roommate? 
Have you ever had that opportunity? You meet somebody, you know, whether you're in college or young adult or something like that later in life or just at the time you, you get to meet somebody and then you get to be roommate. And, and I tell you what, the first time you meet your roommate, hopefully you think, well, this is a pretty decent person, right? Otherwise, you know you're in for a bad time, <laughs> right? And you get to know them and, they, and hopefully they are a pretty decent person. But, you know, you get in about a month in and you start to see maybe not the most perfect things for them right? You know, maybe they eat their potato chips in a really annoying way, right? You know, maybe they've got some bad habits that you just didn't notice on the outside. When, when you live with somebody, you see them for who they really are. The apostles saw Jesus for who he really was. They got to see him in the most intimate way. They got to live with him, follow him. It, and even despite that, in fact, I think because of it, the testimony means all that much more, doesn't it? That for Simon Peter, a faithful, devout Jew, <laughs> to call anybody God other than God, that's, that's cause to be excluded from the entire community, cut off from his people, and murdered, well, killed. Now, that's, that's a pretty big thing. And he's talking to a rabbi, Right? He's talking to his teacher. And if Jesus didn't show the qualities of God, Peter would never have had the guts to say, you're God. And what about the other apostles? When, when, when Peter said this, if they were really just good, religious, and, and, and right, and following scripture, those other apostles, when, when Peter called Jesus God, if, if Jesus wasn't God, what should they have done? Yeah. They should, have, they should have stoned him to death. I mean, at the very least, they should have kicked him out of the group and said, whoa, you've taken this too far, buddy. But they didn't. I mean, you have a testimony of 12 faithful men standing there at a place where you see the, the pantheon, all of the other options out there, and them saying, none of these are real. But you're God. We have the apostles themselves and in their writings in the New Testament as we read their words over and over again they leave us no doubt as to the personhood of Jesus. They worshipped him as God and they died because of that testimony. They watched their families die because of that testimony and it didn't bother them because they knew because he's God he rose again and he gives us a new life. They've seen it. They had the opportunity to see it firsthand to know firsthand if he was God or not and they give us that testimony and that's important because if the people who knew Jesus didn't call him God, then we shouldn't. But if those who lived with him and saw him and worked with him and, and they can point to him and, and bow a knee, that tells us something. The very apostles themselves. But it wasn't just the apostles. Peter, Jesus could have said to Peter, oh, wait, whoa. <laughs> you know, like the angels. When the people try to worship the angels, the angels are like, don't do that. <laughs> Seriously, don't do that. But did Jesus say that? No, he received the worship. Jesus said to Peter, he said this, but Jesus remained silent and gave them a... Oh, that's sorry, that's a different one. Um, that should have been a totally different verse up there. Right afterwards, Jesus says to the apostle, or to, to Peter, he says, you know what, well done, you're right. I am God. And the answer that you were given was not just, didn't just come to you, it came from God himself, God's Holy Spirit. He affirms it, and then he receives worship. And again, remember that only God can receive worship. And that's, that was a huge thing. Now, it wasn't just um, that uh, here we have here, 
It wasn't just that his followers knew that he called him God. Here we have the high priest. And it's not so much as like proclaiming you're God, but more of an accusation, (laughs) which I think is funny from a high priest. And so Jesus is before the high priest, but they're trying to kill him, right? And they bring all these people up there trying to say all kinds of bad things about Jesus because that's what you do in politics. You know, you try to dig up dirt and twist words or whatever and try to get the person in trouble. It was very obvious that's what it was. And so the high priest was like, I can't listen to any of these people. So the high priest takes matters in his own hands and, and says, I know this guy's been claiming to be God. That's how I'm going to get him. And so he says, are you, uh, are you God? And again, the high priest asked him, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? Right? Even the high priest knew that this is exactly who Jesus claimed to be. Now, he didn't believe Jesus was God the Son. He should have, but he didn't. But he did know that this was the, the sum total of his message. For all the people who say that Jesus came and he was just a prophet, no one ever believed he was God, and that was invented years later, explain why they put him on the cross. They had a lot of teachers that they didn't put on the cross. But the high priest knew that Jesus had claimed to be God the Son. He knew the prophecies of the Messiah, and the Messiah would be God the Son, that he would be God with us. And that's the very thing that he uses to tell Jesus, are, are you this person, knowing that Jesus could not deny it? And Jesus didn't deny it. And then the, whole, and the high priest, he said, you're right, I am God the Son. In fact, you're going to see me coming back in the clouds of glory, just like God the Son's going to do, right? And the high priest, what did he do? He rips his clothes, because we love drama. He's like, Pah! Right? And he's like, oh, do we need any more testimony? And that's why they take him to the Romans to be killed. But how about Jesus? Jesus let a lot of people call him God. But what did Jesus say about himself? Was there a testimony that he has? Well, yes, there is. Uh, we have here that uh, we have, oh, the centurion. I forgot this one. This is a good one. The centurion, right before, uh, after Jesus dies, Right? The people who execute him. Not only was it the high priest, but the people who execute him. After they kill him, they say, surely he was the son of God. Those are the executioners. They, had, they have absolutely the best reason to deny Jesus' deity. Because when you kill God, things are not going to go well for you. <laughs> right? It's going to be bad. <laughs> but they're like, we made a big mistake. When you have even the people who just saw him from a moment and they saw Jesus lay down his life, the way that he laid his life down, the way that the nature itself reacted when Jesus died, there was the darkness and, and the earthquake and, and the curtain and the temple being ripped in two. I mean, things that you just can't make up. <laughs> and they see this, even the very centurions themselves say, this guy is God. Undeniable. And then Jesus says, uh, you're the son of the living God. You go back to that. Jesus says to himself, you're right. I am God. That's what he says. And he even writes there that you didn't receive your flesh and blood, but you received it by whom? My father in heaven. Now, if I'm a boy and I have a dad, what does that make me? His son. Right. So we can use a little logic there. Did he actually say, I am God the son? No. <laughs> he said... My Father, who is God in heaven, right? That's, that's what is the thing. You're the Son of the living God. And he says, you're right. And that answer is given to you by my Father in heaven. See, there is a testimony. It's not just one testimony. It's not just a testimony of one thing. It's not just a testimony of, of one part of history. 
I hope you see that there's testimony after testimony after testimony after testimony, more than anything else, that Jesus is God the Son. And we have it from, obviously, from Scripture. We have it from the prophets. Uh, We have it from the apostles. We even have it from people who were Jesus' enemies, from the high priest and and from from his executioners. Over and over and over again throughout Jesus' ministry, central to who his message, his ministry, from what we have recorded about is this, that he is God. Now you can do with that what you want to, but you can't take away the fact that the entire Christian faith built from the very first day in Jerusalem when Jesus rose from the dead, it was on the basis that he is God. And that was not a new idea. That was an idea that came and was prophesied a thousand years before he ever came. Now, what is God supposed to do with this, this God, the Son, this Messiah? Well, he's supposed to give him an international inheritance. Do you remember that? As we were in there in, in verse uh, 8, it says, Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance. I mean, it's pretty clear. Now, did David ever have the inheritance, of the nations as his inheritance? No. No, Solomon um, had an opportunity to expand the kingdom of Israel more than anybody else, but, um, but even him didn't go from the ends of the earth. But Jesus said something really awesome uh, where, uh, where he, says, uh, he says, you know, all authority in heaven has been given to me, go follow the nations. But he also says this in Ephesians 1.18, this is written about him, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which God has called you and the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power to those of us who believe. Today, right now, all around the world, every corner, every, <laughs> pretty much almost every language now, we're getting very, very close. Every nation, every continent, of course, people are bending a knee to Jesus. He has touched the entire globe. There is no human, there is, there, not even Coca-Cola has done this. Right? Coke seems to be everywhere, but Jesus is even more so. Why? He is God. And he has been given the nations as his inheritance. That is a phenomenal thing. That was the most ridiculous prophecy. If you were there when you, when you read that, you're like, oh, that's just wishful thinking. The whole world? Oh, that's not going to happen. It's happened. Every nation. And, and, and then we say, how much so? Did Jesus understand this was going to be what was going to happen or did he just have nationalistic ambitions? Think back to uh, when Jesus meets with Nicodemus, the, 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 the guy that was on, on the high council, and, and, and Nicodemus had questions. Is this guy really legit? Is he really the Messiah? So he, he doesn't want to go public, so he calls Jesus at night. And Jesus goes and meets with him in a secret meeting, right? And several people are there, just, just those of the insiders and and Nicodemus starts to ask him, are you really the Messiah? And Jesus starts to answer him and begins. And he says, all right, well, how, how does this whole thing, how do you become born again into this kingdom? And, God, and Jesus says to him, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. He didn't just say God so loved his people, or God so loved the nation of Israel, or God so loved the descendants of, of Abraham. God so loved the world. That was what he understood right from the very beginning. Jesus has an international inheritance. The world belongs to him. The people of the world belong to him. 
And, and to us, we take that for granted because we live in a time and a place where we've seen the gospel now covers all portions of the globe. But I will tell you, that's a relatively new thing. When the apostles were alive, that seemed ridiculous. Until, like the first 300 years of the church, while it was being persecuted under Rome, that would have seemed ridiculous. Even after it became uh, into the Roman Empire and became, I mean, there was still different faiths all around the world. I mean, the Roman Empire knew they couldn't reach all the ends of the world. There were places that the Romans just couldn't go, so they built walls around it. But the gospel went through those walls, and the gospel continues to penetrate hearts today. He has an international inheritance. Now, there is also this whole thing that he, there's that Ephesians oh, verse, gave this whole thing. Now we have a global authority. Jesus is supposed to not only have an inheritance of the whole world, but he's supposed to have the authority over the entire world. Uh, that we say is there. It says, um, He asked me, and I will make the nations your inheritance and the end of the earth your possession. And you will break them with a rod of iron and you will dash in the pieces like pottery. And therefore you kings be warned in your rules of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. Celebrate his rule with tem- trembling. Kiss who? His son. Interesting. Or he will be angry. Right? And then it says, uh, I mean, for his wrath can flare up in a moment, that blessed are those who take refuge in him. It's not as though that he was just going to receive this passive inheritance. This says that Jesus is going to have authority over the entire globe. So much so that even kings and emperors were supposed to take notice and say, all right, I may have a kingdom, but he's ultimately the king over me. Do you know what we call that? King of kings. Right? It's so much so that the business people, those who owned lots of lands and properties and had all kinds of people work for them and, and all those types of things would recognize, these are mine, but also, you know what? He actually has greater authority all these things. I may be the lord of this stuff, but he's actually lord over me. Do you know what we call that? Lord of lords. That's what it means. He owns all and he's authority over all. And did Jesus understand that's what he would have? Absolutely. Matthew 28, verse that we memorize several times a year because it's an awesome verse. Jesus came to them right at the very end before he rose to heaven, right? He takes his disciples and he tells them, listen, I want you to, uh, to, to believe in me. Ah, my thing is not working today. <laughs> Jesus says in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, he says, all authority in heaven has been given to me. Therefore, go to all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Now think about this. All authority in heaven and earth. He is God over all things. That means like here on this earth, where you live now, he's God. He has authority today. That means in the heavens, when we die, when we go, (laughs) when we pass on, he is God in the heavens. That means that it doesn't doesn't matter where we are or, or when we live or anything, he is the authority. And that changes things for you and me, right? Because we, the whole problem that we had from the very beginning, the whole reason that all of these prophecies were given is because God is making something right that we made terribly wrong. Back at creation, we ate from a tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? We decided we want to be like God. We want to be our own God. And it wasn't just Adam and Eve. It's been every single one of us since then, hasn't it? We want to have rule over my own life. I want to do what I think is right and not do what I don't think is right. I want to choose what's right and wrong for myself. Thank you very much, God. I want to have authority over what I do. And so, God, if you want me to do something, I don't want to do it. Well, forget you. I'm going to do what I want to do until it's convenient. And I will obey you when I want to. Right? That's the way that humans have done it. And you know what happens is we make ourselves our own gods. 
And we not only destroy our own countries, because think about nations versus nations. Every nation thinks there's a good guy. And all over since history, what have we done? We've killed each other. But we also do that in business, right? We, we do things that we think is right for us, and a lot of times people twist rules and laws and break things, you know, to make sure that they benefit themselves. And ultimately, even if they end up with lots of wealth and power, they die with guilt and shame. We do things to build our own empires. And even if we end up with all kinds of things, we still die. Or how about this, in families? In families, you have two people, a husband and a wife, and all of a sudden you have kids who also want to be their own gods. And it creates for turmoil, doesn't it? Where is there peace in this world? Humans make lousy gods. I think that's the ultimate lesson we're going to carry with us into heaven. I don't think there's going to be another rebellion in heaven against God because we've had this wonderful experiment to try it out for ourselves. And we can say, yeah, we tried it. It didn't do works well. But there is a God and he's capable and he's competent. He can bring peace. He's shown that he has the authority. He's shown he has the love. He's shown he has the justice. He's shown he has the mercy. And he's come. God came to earth for you and me. What do you do with that kind of thing? It's not just wishful thinking. It's not some spiritualized Jesus came to make us better people. Jesus came to save us, to redeem us, to, to accept us, to change our very identity so that we can follow him. He's the only one who can bring peace to this whole world. He's the only one that has the right to the authority of the entire world. He's the only one who has the power to change humanity from the broken state we are to make us whole because he is God. He's not just a teacher. We have to realize it's not just, we're not just saying spiritual things, but he came. He actually came. So what do we do? What do we do with this? Jesus fulfilled all the prophecies except for that very small percentage of those that talk about him coming again. And I will tell you, if somebody told me something and the 85% of the time they were absolutely 100% true, right? That 85%, but they says there's some things that are going to happen in the future, so I can't be true about those things yet because they haven't happened. But if everything that they said were going to happen happened, I would probably trust them for that next 15%, wouldn't you? (laughs) Jesus came. He fulfilled. And he's coming again. So it matters what we believe about him. And so here's some things that I have that maybe as we wrap this series up and and tie it together, uh, some things that you can do. I think the first one is, is, man, you need to memorize Ephesians 2.8. Because it's by grace you have been saved. You didn't earn it. We were all rebelling against God. There's no way you're going to be good enough, right? We've already been guilty (laughs) but it's by grace god came he saved you it's by grace you've been saved and that's through faith it matters what you believe and that's not from yourselves and we don't gather here this morning so that we can be filled up in some way or anything like that we come because we have been saved we have been filled with the holy spirit we have been given purpose in life we come to worship a god and to love his family It is by grace you've been saved through faith, and that's not yourself. But it is something. It is a gift of God. It's a gift that you need to unwrap. To be a people of grace. But I'll say this. Maybe you've already memorized that. How about this? Maybe you want to read Psalm 2. I read it for you like twice today already. Right? Pretty cool verse, right? Pretty amazing psalm. Maybe you spend some time in God's word this week. It's a short thing. Spend some time meditating on it. Take that verse apart. Really think about what does this mean? 
I mean, there are some scary parts in there, like you better tremble because he can get angry. <laughs> That's something you may should think about. Or how about this, that, that he actually is worthy? Or how about this, that God said he should be in charge and God means it? Maybe think about that, and how does that apply into your life? Maybe spend some time in Psalm 2 this week and think about it. That would be a great thing to do. How about this? Maybe you need to worship Jesus because he is king of kings. He is Lord of lords. He is God the Son. It's okay to worship him. You can't worship me, right? You, you can't worship you know, Mother Teresa, Billy Graham, right? You can't worship any other saint that has gone before us, right? They're people. You can't worship the angels, but you can worship Jesus, and he accepted it. And maybe what we begin doing is, here's how you worship Jesus. There's a couple of things you can do. One is turning your life over to him every day. How about you start your day, and you say, I'm going to commit to this. Every day I'm going to start and thank God for who he is. And say to Jesus, you are my king. Maybe worshiping Jesus is this. Jesus has asked me to do some things in the, old, in the, in, in the gospels. He's asked me to forgive this person. Right? He's told me to be a person of forgiveness and not of bitterness. I'm going to worship Jesus, I'm going to obey him, and I'm going to offer forgiveness. I don't even want to do it, but I'm going to do it because he asked me to. Right? Or maybe it's identifying, finding, he says, go to all nations, right? Make disciples. Maybe you worship Jesus by saying, you know what, I am not doing that. I'm not fulfilling his command to me. He has all authority to tell me. So you begin praying for at least one person in your life who doesn't know the Lord and, and asking God to give you an opportunity to share the gospel. I don't know what it is, but you start with worshiping Jesus. Start actually acting like he is God. That, that, that changes how we live. Or how about this? Maybe you need to follow Jesus. How cool is it that God didn't just speak from heaven? This is my son, and I want you to do everything I told you to do, and then zaps Jesus out of there, like, like beams him up, right? He gave us an example to follow. He didn't just say, forgive people. He actually forgave people. He didn't just serve other people or tell us to serve. He served, right? He gives us an example to follow. And you say, I don't know, what kind of example? How do I follow Jesus? Well, how about this? You can read the Gospels, and there are great things that Jesus did. But I imagine you know a lot of the things that he has done and, and start to practice those things in your life. Maybe it's speaking kindness. Maybe it's having trust and faith in the midst of difficult things. Maybe it's being willing to endure suffering for the benefit of another person. I don't know what it is, but I tell you this, Jesus is amazing. Being a follower of his, a disciple of his means a follower of his. Right? Are you fully committed? Maybe that's where you begin and you start to follow Jesus. Go where he goes. Right? And just start mimicking his, his character. Or how's with this? Maybe there's something else you can do, and maybe that's just an, that's the other. Something else that you know in your heart. This is what God, the Holy Spirit, is in you now telling you, I want you to do this. Let us know. We will be praying for you. We want to support you. You need to obey the Lord. Of course, maybe you're here this morning, and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life. Because when you make him the Lord of your life, he does a cool thing for you. He saves you, which is awesome. But maybe there's not a time you ever thought in your life that you can remember confessing him as your Lord and Savior, receiving that gift, being baptized, being taken into a church, being discipled. If that's you, this is where you have to begin. He is God. He set things on his terms. We don't get to tell him how he should save us. This is how he said he's going to save. You've been saved by grace through faith. And so if you need to come to God on his terms, I want you to write that down and I will help you. This week, make sure I can contact you. I'll get a hold of you. We'll, we'll get together. And we'll talk about what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to come to him as Lord? How does he say to he wants to, to respond to him? We'll help you make those steps of faith. We'll help you not only take those steps of faith, become a believer, but also walk successfully as a believer, as a part of a wonderful church family. If you have a commitment to make, make those commitments, write them down. Um, and then uh, here in a minute, we're going to take our, our offering.
as we take our offering, please uh, take these connection cards and drop them in the offering basket along with your tithes and your offerings. And we'll do that. Before we do that, however, we want to make sure we pray. I will begin. Um, we'll start praying. Uh, if there's anything that you have on your heart that you would like to pray, uh, we invite you. This is a great time for you to do that, either voice it verbally or, or even just from the quiet of your heart. But it gives us a time to talk to this amazing God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We do. We don't just say that. We love you because you first loved us. In fact, I think in your word it would be impossible for us to love you unless you actually came and redeemed us. Uh, but we... Uh, we came in a position of war. Uh, we wanted to be our own gods. We wanted to do things our own way. And instead of coming and just destroying us and smiting us and doing all those things, you sent yourself as a human. You walked in our skin. You loved us. But you also showed us that you're worthy of worship, that you can end the war. You declared peace where we declared self. And so, Father, we declare you. And now... As we continue on in prayer at this time, Lord, I thank you that you didn't just come to save us, but you call us your children and you hear us. Thank you for that, Father. We pray these things in your precious and beautiful name.